all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. Good morning and welcome to Southern Remedy. This is Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And this is the program that allows you to call in with whatever healthcare issue questions that you have. It could be about yourself or somebody else in your family, and it could be about any type of topic that has been on your mind. Maybe it's new medication that you were prescribed and you might have a side effect here or there you just had some questions about, whether that's related to that medication. Maybe it's a new symptom of something that's going on, or maybe it's just a diagnosis that you didn't quite understand. We are here for you today. That's right. You can call in right now with those and any other questions that you might have about your your health care. We also welcome those questions via email. You can email us by emailing remedy at mpbonline.org. Wow, weather uh, swings like, uh, man, just crazy outside. It feels like a beautiful spring day out there, just walking back and forth in uh, early morning. And uh, I hope uh, some of you at least take a little bit of time, even if it's just 15 minutes, to go outside and experience that. A lot of emerging data that that's good for you um, to get out of the office and the stuffiness. I try to do that a couple of times a day if I can uh, to uh, enjoy um, all that uh, outside uh, weather that we're having right now that is so good. But, of course, here in the South, it's always a swing one way or the other. So we might uh, see that uh, change over time. Um, hope all of you have had a great holiday season. And uh, certainly there's a lot of things that can uh, be stressful during the holidays from a mental standpoint with relatives and uh, old issues that come up and uh, all kinds of different things. Also, it's a time that, uh, you know, we really should pay attention to those, particularly uh, those of uh, that we know of, friends and family that are alone. And uh, that sort of extends into January as we have decreased light levels and increased um, increase risk of different things uh, like depression and anxiety. So reach out to somebody in need. That's always something that uh, that helps. Certainly, you know, it may seem like social media, Facebook and uh, Instagram and other other ways to reach out are effective. However, it doesn't take the place of talking to somebody over the phone or actually going and see them. So I would encourage you to do that and uh, take advantage of that. We're going to go to Anna from Oxford first. Good morning, Anna. Good morning. Um, I think I may have mentioned this to you before, but uh, I'll try it one more time. Um, I have horrible dry mouth, and it wakes me up in the night. And 
I've talked to the dentist, says just take biotin, um, the, um, which only lasts four hours. And then the doctor doesn't seem to know what's causing it. But um, the dentist mentioned that it might be something to do with the drugs I'm taking, um, the enolapril, atorvastin, and now um, I'm using metformin. Uh, and I've changed from Lantus to Basiglar, which I guess is the same stuff. Um, so what would be either causing it or how can I stop this horrible, I mean, it's really horrible dry mouth. Yeah, that can be a big problem, Anna, and I, I appreciate you sharing that with us uh, this morning because I'm sure there's lots of other people out there. While there are a number of medications that help to increase saliva production and some anecdotal things like bitter substances to, uh, you know, like bitter candies can do that. Um, the bitter taste, anything that elicits a bitter taste, actually is one of the best, if you think about it, if you've ever eaten that, that's one of the best ways to induce that. And sometimes even spicy foods like some of the, the peppers. However, if you've been through the gamut of all that and you're still looking for a reason why, there are a number of things that might cause that. As we get older, we tend to lose the ability to produce more saliva, but in some cases it can be severe enough and might be an indication of another problem. Um, a lot of people will call this SICA syndrome, S-I-C-C-A, um, and it might be related to some other autoimmune problems. So I hope your physician is looking broadly for those and is uh, you know, trying to tease out some other symptoms that might go along with that, trouble swallowing. Uh, sometimes can be associated with it. And there may be some lab tests to draw, depending on what those symptoms are. Um, you mentioned medications, which is a very common cause of dry mouth with decreased saliva production. And I think I wrote these down as you were saying them. So you said enalapril, which is a uh, blood pressure medication, atorvastatin, which is a, a uh, cholesterol medication, Metformin and Basaglar, which are both medications used to treat diabetes. So while all of those by themselves may not be causing that, um, I did want to ask is if the enalapril is combined with a diuretic, with a thiazide or hydrochlorothiazide? No, it, it's just a five milligram. Okay, so a small dose, yeah. That Those typically do not, none of those medications typically by themselves cause that. Now, diabetes can be associated with dry mouth, and it, it depends a lot on the glycemic control, so the control of the blood sugar. And if your blood sugar is high or if you have swings, sometimes that can exacerbate that. So, you know, good, tight control. And I remember our discussion before, and I can't remember how long ago that was, but I think you had said your A1C was pretty good. Well, yeah, and now it's even better with the metformin. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, I must say, this is at night that it's the problem. Yep. I mean, during the daytime, I don't have any problems. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess because I'm, you know, you make saliva. Um, but it's uh, it didn't happen when I first was diagnosed with diabetes. And it's only in the last, I would say, uh, let's say three, four years, yeah. maybe three mm -hmm. years. And, and, and it just seems to be getting worse. Yeah. And you might want to, you know, explore if you know it's possible. I you know, you never want to rule up totally out those medications. What I can say is I haven't found that that's been a big side effect of any of those medications in any of the patients that I have or in the literature. 
However, you might have a patient that does have, uh, you know, a potential side effect just based on their own experience. And particularly the, the, um, the diabetes medic- med- medications and the metformin, you might even consider something different than the metformin. There are a couple of other classes of medications that are newer. Some well, of them, I, I've, go ahead. I've only taken the metformin for the last, um, since October. So you had it before that. So you had the dry mouth yeah. before oh, that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So in that case, it's probably not contributing to it very much at all. So I think we're sort of back to, to square one of making sure there aren't other things. And sometimes you can go years before those other autoimmune problems pop up. So yeah. I would continue to, you know, to bring that up to your physician. But, it, you know, they, it, you may have to be sort of stuck with, with some of the things that you're already doing to try to increase that, particularly at night. And that is yeah. a common time to have it, and, or first thing in the morning when pa- patients wake up. Yeah. And then there's one more problem. Mm-hmm. It's like head, head to toe here. Um, I woke up one morning, I guess, about a month ago, and I didn't know where to put my foot. <laughs> and it turned out I had, well... I, I looked it up. I had gout in my big toe. Oh, goodness, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, uh, my husband was, you know, quick on the computer. He says, oh, well, you've got to take some... Um, uh, uh, Allopurinol uh, or colchicine, yeah. Ibuprofen. Yeah. And it, it went away. Okay. But uh, um, it turns out my sister had it recently, and my mother had had it. So it's something that runs in the family. Is it something to do with mm-hmm. our physical makeup or what? Yeah, it can. And it's also associated with diabetes. So um, oh. it, so basically it's called by elevated uric acid level. So uric acid is a breakdown product of protein in our bodies. And the main way that our body gets rid of it and eliminates it from our bodies is through the kidneys. And um, it can, there's two different sort of big pathways that you can have problems with it. You can eat a lot of foods that have uh, purines in them, and purines can lead to high uric acid concentrations in your body. And if you overload the kidney's ability to filter that out, then you can have uric acid that comes out in little crystals. And if you look at that, you know, if you if you were to, to withdraw some of the fluid in your big toe, um, that's a common area, by the way. That's probably the most common area. If I have a patient that comes in with a big, hot uh, toe right where it attaches to the foot, that's usually the most common place, although you can have it other places. And um, their uric acid levels are high. That's almost always gout. That's, that's pretty much a, a no-brainer there. But um, if you overload the system and you have too much uric acid, then it can come out in these little crystals, and they look like needles, which is why it hurts so much. Oh, and, yes. <laughs> and it's in the joint space, and it can cause a lot of problems. Anti-inflammatory medications like ibuprofen are great for controlling that that exacerbation of it where you have that to sort of calm down. There's other medications classically that patients have taken. Sometimes they're not as safe to take in, in certain patients, but ibuprofen works well for the short-term treatment. And then if you have a uric acid level that's above about 6.5, and that's an easy lab test to get along with your regular lab test, then you might need a medication to decrease those or at least avoid the foods that are higher in purines and and can cause gout. And that's easy to find that on the internet, very easy to look up. But yeah, so certain families okay. are yeah, certain families it does run in in families just because they're a little bit more prone to get it because they may not be able to excrete uric acid as much as other members of the population. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um it, it 
I have to agree, it was very painful. Um, and I recommend to anybody who has it, don't take aspirin. Yeah, I, I found that too. You have to take pretty high doses of aspirin to get the same effect as ibuprofen, yeah. so that's that's true. Yeah, because um, I did take the aspirin, didn't go away. My husband said, no, no, you've got to take ibuprofen, <laughs> and I took it and it went away. Right. <laughs> All I right. Mean, how, how, how can you actually actually get rid of the uric acid? Is, is there a chemical which will take it away? So allopurinol is one of the older medications that we use to do that, and that's a pill that you take once or twice a day. Uh, there's a 100 milligram and a 200 milligram dose of it. It is a prescription medication, but it can help to inhibit the breakdown of uric acid, uh, of, of protein to uric acid in your body. Um, it's pretty clean medication, pretty easy to take, doesn't have a whole lot of side effects. But that's one that you take to prevent it, not if you have a an exacerbation. Like if you had, you know, if this just pops up, that's not when you start taking the allopurinol. You really need to take it daily to yeah. help prevent it. Ah, okay. I'm not not an eager uh, person to be taking extra sure. chemicals. <laughs> well, the first thing uh, I would do, Anna, is to um, go online, search for foods that lead to gout, and avoid those. Just pick out some that you normally eat in your diet. Alcohol is one. Lots of red meats, of course, can do that. Um, some seafoods can do that, too. But just look at the list, and it's not that you can't ever do that. But, uh, I, in fact, I have some patients of mine that if they know during the holidays they're going to eat those or a certain time of year that they're going to eat some of those foods, they'll take allopurinol at least a few weeks before that leading up to it and then through that time period. So, uh, But discuss that with your doctor, of course. But you might could just avoid some of those foods that yeah, cause the yeah. gout, and uh, that might uh, do the trick. Well, I do appreciate all of your help. Well, thank you for calling. We do appreciate it. We're going to go to Sue from Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. Thanks for calling. Good morning. I I, I was wanting to ask that lady with a dry mouth. (laughs) I was dying to ask her this question. If she was taking any vitamin supplements, especially the ones with zinc in it, because a few years ago, zinc was like the hero of the vitamin (laughs) world or, you know, or supplement world because I don't know how, you know, all of a sudden everybody was taking zinc supplements and zinc, zinc, zinc. And so uh, it's cold flu season was starting, and so I started a uh, vitamin supplement had a big dose of zinc in it. And uh, my my mouth got terribly dry, I mean, dry desert sand, you know. It, just, hmm. it, is a, it is a miserable feeling to have a dry mouth like that. And uh, the doctor didn't know what to say. He didn't have any suggestions, you know, about using lozenges to keep your mouth down. Finally, I, I decided one, one day I had a large, fresh jalapeno pepper. And I ate that thing. I said, well, maybe if I can get some capsaicin in there off that pepper to stimulate the, you know, the saliva glands. And that worked. Yep. I ate that whole pepper. <laughs> all of my nose was running. My eyes were running. <laughs> but it got my saliva glands woken up. And uh, I stopped the zinc, of course. And um, I never had any more problems. But zinc will cause you to have a terribly dry mouth. Yeah, you're right. And I should have asked that question, too. You know, it is important to ask about not just the prescription medications, but over-the-counter medications and supplements. So I'm glad you followed up with that question, Sue, and, and comment. Uh, and z- you're right. Zinc can have a number of side effects, particularly if it's in higher amounts. And, you know, every couple of years we have our potential, you know, this is 
cures everything. And uh, you're right, zinc is, uh, especially in, during COVID, and there were several studies that were actually well-designed looking at zinc and vitamin C, and it didn't do anything for COVID symptoms, actually. And it did cause some side effects in some people. So it's it's been well-known for a long time that zinc in higher doses, I think it's over 40 milligrams, uh, that if you take over that amount per day, you'll start to have a lot of those side effects that are dose-related. And some of that is the uh, dry mouth. A lot of people say they have this metallic taste in their mouth. And some of them even have uh, GI problems like diarrhea uh, that they that they associate with taking it. So, yeah, you do have to be careful about that. And, you know, it's not much out there for other things like the common cold. I know a lot of people swear by it. It's like, oh, I hadn't had a flu or cold in years. And I take zinc and vitamin C and several other things. But if you, you know, if I, I, what I would say to people, if you're taking that, just stop it for a while. It's not like you need that. And um, let's, you know, just to sort of see what those symptoms are um, and if they go away. But uh, and yeah, that there's not much else that can stimulate uh, salivation and increased uh, salivation than something like a, a capsaicin in peppers and the Scoville content when it gets up around 200,000 plus, that's when you start to see a lot more of it. But you're going to have watery eyes and watery nose too. It stimulates all kinds of things. Actually, it's funny. You know, while we're sitting here talking about this, I've had increased saliva production right now. So the body's well, when we start talking about those hot, spicy foods, which I like, then uh, it's funny how the body just sort of gets geared up for that. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Sue. We do appreciate it. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, I always want to watch out about supplements. And some of my patients, they have a whole bag that they bring in for their normal medication. It sort of helps to do that. That's one of those things moving forward into the year that you might want to adopt when you go see your healthcare provider that you carry all those medications with you. But I also encourage you in uh, either in the same bag or a separate one, um, take at least a list of the things that aren't prescriptions but that you take. And you may think, you know, there's nothing wrong with vitamin C. You can't get too much of it. It might actually be causing some problems. So um, you at least need to know about that. Or it might be interfering with some of the other medications that a patient uh, uh, has, is taking. So you might be taking one medication and it might not be working too good. And sometimes even foods, one of the classic ones is... When a patient is prescribed amlodipine, which is a uh, blood pressure medication, a dihydropyridine calcium channel blocker, that uh, grapefruit actually interferes with its metabolism in the liver. So that's one thing, and it doesn't necessarily interfere with other types of blood pressure medications. It's just the amlodipine. So you had to be careful with some of these things because they do interact uh, with foods, uh, certainly uh, greens and leafy foods that are high in vitamin K and people who are on uh, Coumadin or Warfarin, uh, that is a known interaction too because of the way that that medication works to block that and to help uh, decrease blood clots. So got to be careful with that and always a, a good history of what somebody is eating, even if it's just like the, the common foods that they eat or the foods that they eat during the last 24 hours. That might be just a basic way to um, to address if there might be some interactions in that. So thank you, Sue, for always uh, coming up with a good question to follow, particularly follow up like that, uh, to uh, sort of think more about it. And 
I do want to encourage you. We try to give you the answers that you need, but that doesn't take the place of spending time with your physician or your healthcare provider and going through things. Obviously, we cannot do a physical exam over, and this is not uh, doesn't take the the place of those interactions. We just try to steer you in the right direction and maybe think through these a little bit. So, uh, just a, a word of advice if you're thinking, ah, oh, Doctor Jimmy diagnosed me, I can move on from here. Uh, make sure you follow that up, particularly if some of those, uh, you know, sort of quick fixes don't work. This is uh, Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning and plenty of opportunities for you to call in. We've got about uh, 30 minutes or so left in the hour, so we've got plenty of time for you to call in. Or you can email us. That email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. I know a lot of you may have just come into the program for the first time, or you've just sort of stumbled across it, or maybe you had to break away at some point, and you're like, man, I wish I could have heard the rest of that conversation. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to our podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Just search for Remedy on MPB Think Radio, and you can download that and listen to it at your leisure. I know I have about five or six podcasts that I listen to from time to time, and it's just very convenient if you're driving or uh, you know different times that you might uh, be more convenient for you to uh, listen to that information. Hey, what about eye twitching? You know, we had I was just having a conversation right before I came over to the studio this morning with a coworker. And she said, you know, my eye's been twitching for at least a couple of days, a little bit longer than that. What's up with that? What are the causes of that? And will it ever go away? So I think most people have at least experienced that the older you get. It's a very common problem. You know, the, there are muscles that control our face but also control our eyes. And some of those movements are involuntary, meaning we don't have control over it. And some of them are voluntary, so you can close your eyes. A lot of people have problems with that, uh, like winking uh, and closing one eye versus the other. A lot of people have you know, difficulty doing that. Well, just like other muscles in the body, those muscles can be- become fatigued with use. So it's not uncommon that if you're doing a lot more reading or if you're stressed or if you don't get enough uh, sleep uh, or rest that you get that you should be able to uh, be getting that those muscles of your eye become ones that sort of uh, become fatigued and when they do they can spasm a little bit uh, now some people have experienced this in other places in their body certainly uh, I know over the years of running and uh, other physical activity you might exhaust certain muscles and it during the day or later in the day they might just have little fasciculations which is that sort of twitching motion and it's just a muscle that's fatigued. There could be some external factors in that uh, that go along with it. So things like excess caffeine can make that muscle more susceptible to um, to spasm. So you want to be careful with the amount of caffeine that you're having. But generally speaking, just resting it. And if you think about it, think about how many times we blink our eyes in a day or that we move our eyes around. Um, if it if it's just the benign condition of just that muscle being fatigued, that should go away uh, after a couple of days and sometimes up to a week. And particularly if you can rest those eyes um, appropriately at the end of your day, your work day. Uh, but if it doesn't, you might need to see an ophthalmologist to get that checked out. There are some medical conditions that um, over time, not necessarily with the eye twitching, but a fatigue in those eye muscles that can go along with certain other um, certain other uh, syndromes and diseases. So you might want to 
you know, seek out some uh, some care there if it's if it's going on too long. So, just something to think about. But the benign things, just sort of the benign um, essential blepharospasm is the fancy word for that. Uh, the blethro is uh, sort of the the name for the. It comes from a Greek uh, root for the eye, and that things are around the eye, and just the eyelid itself. Uh, blepharoplasty. That's sort of an eye lift. Um, to sort of throw out to all the plastic surgeons out there. But anyway, um, those are some common things, and uh, you might want to just get a little bit more rest and cut back on the caffeine, and that might take care of your problem. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, answering your questions. Got some good ones so far. Plenty of time for you to call in, though. I give you permission to do that right now. I know somebody's out there just waiting. I can see you right now. That's sort of spooky, isn't it? But, uh, you know, a lot of people are a little hesitant to call in. They may think that this is the only, I'm probably the only person that has this. It's probably not worthwhile calling in. I guarantee you that's going to be something that one of, uh, at least one other person in our listening audience and probably more people are going to be interested in. So don't be shy with calling in. We uh, give you permission to do that. Or you can always email us if you're not able to call. And you can do that any time of the day. Uh, or night. That email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. Got a couple of email questions here, too, that um, uh, a lot of very common about some things. Some things we've talked about before, but they're common enough that uh, somebody may have not uh, have uh, have caught. You know, what about neuropathy? Neuropathy is a term that's broadly used to describe a nerve or nerves that aren't working correctly. And it can manifest in a couple of different ways. One is you can have numbness to that area. And that's usually caused by some damage to the nerve. But sometimes you can have uh, impulses that travel back up that the brain interprets as sort of different sensations. So it might be pins and needles. It might be uh, intense pain. And uh, you can have different distributions of this too. A lot of times it'll affect just one nerve. We call that a mononeuropathy. And sometimes it can be multiple nerves in some region. You can also have some damage to nerves uh, either globally, like diabetes is a good example of that. As you uh, have increased glucose levels, you can can have some damage to, uh, to nerves there over time, particularly if it's uncontrolled. Or it might be a deficiency in something like B12 is a good example of that, where you have sort of a neuropathy pattern of your uh, gloves on your hands is where it normally um, um, is, is located and also on your feet. So those are some of the more common causes, but you can have other common uh, causes as well. So you always need to get that checked out by your physician first, and they may want you to see a uh, although it's commonly tre- treated by, I have a lot of patients that I treat myself with neuropathy, and there's multiple medications out there. You want to get a good diagnosis first. And other uh, causes of damage to nerves include direct pressure on the nerve. So sometimes those nerves are very long. They travel from our spinal cord all the way out to our extremities and back. And if you have um, anything that's pressing on them anywhere along their length, that might cause some damage to them over time, too. So something like a bulging disc in your back, or maybe it's a bone spur in your back, or maybe it's an old injury that has some scar tissue around it, or a benign or malignant growth 
next to a nerve. All those things can cause deficits in how well that nerve is going to work, and it can cause neuropathy. So very common. There are a lot of good medications out there, but getting a good diagnosis and trying to nail that down first is probably a good idea. We're going to go to Bethany in Mendenhall. Good morning, Bethany. Hi. Good morning. What's your What's your question this morning? Yeah, I was just had a quick question. Um, I need to go to the doctor for eczema, but I need to be sure which kind of doctor to go to. My insurance makes me pay out of pocket. Do, it's on my feet. Do I need to go to a foot doctor or a dermatologist? Uh, I would probably say a dermatologist might give you the best bang for your buck there. Um, now, there are a lot of good primary care physicians, too, that might feel comfortable seeing you for that. But if you're having to pick between those two, and by foot doctor, people mean different things. Sometimes they mean a podiatrist, which is a little bit different training to be a podiatrist um, than, a, than a physician, uh, than an MD. But, um, you know, that's that they're not going to be as uh, used to seeing that. Certainly, there's a lot of good podiatrists out there that can diagnose eczema. Uh, and recommend that you follow up with somebody for treatment of that. But I would say probably if you're having to pick between the two, I would go with a dermatologist. Okay. And just just keep in mind, dermatologists are trained to take care of the skin everywhere and everything coming out of the skin like nails and hair. So that is a lot of uh, geography on the body. So, yeah, feet and hands do count. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you for calling. Yeah, eczema in the South is a it's a nasty thing. We take we uh, actually take care of a lot of that, and it's uh, it can uh, cause a lot of problems. Most people think about eczema in the young, but you can have adults that either develop eczema or have eczema that continues uh, from childhood. So it definitely is not something to be blown off. We have a lot of things that can be triggers for it. Let's yeah, get. That that's right. That's, yeah. Thank you, Bethany. Thank you. All right. Let's go to Joe from Tennessee. Good morning, Joe. Uh, yeah. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I, I'm calling about burning mouth syndrome. I, I had it for a while. An oral surgeon extract, uh, cut out some stuff in the roof of my mouth, got over it briefly. It came back. I've had it back about a year, and now i got whelps on the side of my tongue. Uh, and... Uh, you know, I just uh, I can't find a source of knowledge that zeroes in on it and resolves the issue. It's really uncomfortable. Yeah, and I, Joe, I you know I'm I'm going to not presume anything about how you've been treated or anything, but you know, typically if that's what you have, that's not something. It's something that can be treated. But it's not something that can be cured. So it's like there, you know, pretty much permanently. Um, But a lot of times, and I know you know this, a lot of patients can have a burning sensation in their mouth. They can have dry mouth. They may have different uh, changes to the way that they taste things or a metallic taste. And there can be some local therapies, you know, and you can see a couple of different people to deal with this. Who have you seen so far? Have you seen like the ear, nose, and throat doctors or? ENT, uh-huh. general practitioner, uh, dentist, oral surgeon, uh, and uh, one of the people deals with allergies and stuff like that. The so you, treatments did nothing on the first go-around. They had different treatments they tried, no effect. And when the oral surgeon extracted some of the stuff in the roof of the mouth and the gum, 
that got better, and now I've got the problem back again, but it's on more on my tongue than anywhere else now. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just can't find a source of relief. Yeah, you're seeing all the right people um, that uh, potentially could give you some help. I, Joe, have you been to like a regional center that may specialize in that? Because it sounds like that might be your next step is to go to somebody. And I don't know what part of Tennessee you're in, but, um, you know, there, Memphis and Vanderbilt have really good regional centers. I don't specifically know if they have somebody who's, you know, an expert in this area, but that I would at least reach out to them. And, you know, Mayo Clinic, too, has a lot of, I know, so there are some people, a couple of patients that I know that went there for this and at least got some good treatment. Sometimes they can go in and inject next to the nerves that they think are contributing to that and basically deaden the nerves. But, of course, that leaves you with decreased sensation or potentially loss of sensation in that area that that nerve, you know, supplies. But in some cases, it might be better than, than the pain. Uh, the uh, uh, the group that you mentioned that's in Minnesota, I think. Uh, yeah, at Mayo. Mm-hmm. They, they they say that there's no easy re- uh, analysis. That there's several different sources of contribution, and you know, it sounds like you need to go up there and rent a hotel room for four months or something to let them go through stuff. Yeah, I don't know that it would be quite that long, but you're right. It's not an easy fix, um, regardless of where you're going. Uh, Mayo has another, you know, it's not that's not the only place you can go to. So regionally they have, you know, St. Augustine is another place you can go in Florida, um, but they have sort of some satellite clinics. And I think they have one out, right. out west too, and I'm just blanking on the name of it. But, uh, but yeah, it's it. That's that's one regional center, but you might want to just reach out within the state, uh, you know, in Tennessee, just to reach out to Vanderbilt to see if they have any um, similar people that can that can at least give it a second look. Now, the Mayo people said there are only twenty thousand cases a year in the U.S. Yep, yep. Is so, that, which sounds okay. like a it, uh, it sounds uh, like a lot of people, but you know, when you look at the total population. Uh, no, I know it's small. Yeah. So I, I mean, it loads the population. Okay. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And, and really appreciate listening to your program. It's, your response to people is considerate and helpful to others as well as the patient calling in and stuff. So really appreciate it. Thank Th- you. Thank you, Joe, and good luck to you. Got a lot of good ones today. So thanks for everybody calling in. If you're not able to call, we do encourage you to email us if you have a question that uh, pops up in your mind that you didn't get a chance to ask us. The email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Chris in Natchez. Good morning, Chris. Uh, yes, sir. I had a question. Um, I have some, like real bad pain in my left el- uh, my elbow. I was wondering if there's anything. I'm guessing it's tennis elbow, I guess. Can you describe what part of your elbow that you're having having um, pain in? It's, okay, it's more for like from right from the tip of the shoulder down to the elbow, and then sometimes like sometimes it's so bad I can't even like hold a fork or spoon. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah, yeah, that sounds a little bit like tennis elbow. A couple other things that it might be. Uh, let's talk about tennis elbow first, though. So tennis elbow is an overuse injury that usually it involves the muscles. 
that are the extensors of our hands and forearms. So if you extend your wrist wrist up, if your palm is facing down, you extend your wrist up, or you uh, straighten out your fingers. Those are all the muscles that sort of attach to that point on the lateral or outside portion of our elbow. So that's the lateral epicondyle. And that's usually a, there's a point right there. You can just you can just press on it. And if you get a good history of somebody, you know, we call it tennis elbow. You don't have to play tennis to have it, but it's common, particularly in your backhand. Uh, but it can also just be, um, uh, you know, with any kind of movement of your arm, usually your dominant hand uh, that you uh, that have an overuse there. So there's a couple of things that can be done for it. One's very simple is just rest. So resting that, which pe- nobody who really enjoys doing what they're doing, there's a reason why it's an overuse injury, right? But um, in- NSAIDs or anti-inflammatories are good too. So things like ibuprofen, Aleve, and sometimes some warmth there with some gentle massage can help. And then there's one more thing that you can get over the counter at a pharmacy, which is just, it looks like a big rubber band. And you basically put that a little bit below the place that's hurting. And what it does is it changes the uh, point at which those muscles, uh, the, the force okay. is, is sort of yeah. redistributed. And it looks like you would think, what in the world is that thing? There's no way that's going to help. It helps a lot. No, I, right. And I, and I I like the ones that are more looking like a rubber band than the ones that have Velcro on them because it just it's a little bit harder to get those on. You can see a physical therapist for that, um, you know, if it persists. But the other thing that you might want to consider if it doesn't get better with those things is that you mentioned that sometimes it feels like it's coming down from your shoulder. You can have what we call referred pain, which it just starts in one area and then it travels down to a certain period. Uh, to a certain place. Uh, so that may be, if it doesn't get better, that it may, you know, warrant somebody to take a good look at your shoulder. But I would try those things first. And if it goes away after okay. about a week or two, that's probably what you're dealing with. Yes, sir. Okay. Okay. Uh, thank you so much. I love y'all's show. Oh, thank you, Chris. We appreciate you calling. Let's go to Alice from Macomb. Alice, we've got some time, uh, probably about six minutes. Lord, I need more than that. Maybe <laughs> well, let's make the most of it. You go, Alice. <laughs> Maybe I need to call you next week to get out of this together. Well, let's see what. We, yeah, let's see what we can do this week. And why do I have to take these three different things for the same thing? Magnesium, the bones and the muscles, and B twelve, and B three. Uh, guess I'm saying this stuff right. Yeah, uh, vitamin so, D. Yeah, yeah. So, and you said it was for the same thing that you're taking it. Some of them here you said in bones and muscles, it's the magnesium. Yeah, there's uh, so those are different vitamins and minerals that can do different things, and they're very important to the way that the body works. Um, so let's take a couple of them at a time. So the magnesium, magnesium is one that the body uses for a, a couple of different processes. It can, it can be very instrumental if you have low magnesium levels that uh, you, you can have muscle dysfunction, you can have GI problems, you can have bone dis- dysfunction. So it, it affects a lot of things. And that can be from a number, either you're not getting enough of it in you, 
or you're losing too much of it. So sometimes it can, you know, there may be some other things going on, and that may be one reason why they're saying you need to take it. B12, oh, go ahead. So support the nervous system. I've been going by things so long, because I think I'm putting too much in my stomach anyway, because my stomach messed up. I thought I was going to kill myself last month. I so bad. I chewed the tongues and bacon soda and yeah. Well, that can be it can be a problem uh, with any kind of supplement or vitamin. So you're right. I mean, you want to be careful with that. And sometimes you want to be careful about when you take them too. the B vitamins, all of them. You just insert your number. Those are fairly easy to and safe to take and don't have a lot of side effects other than it's just another pill that's going down or multiple pills. So the B12 and B3. They're pretty safe, and the excess just sort of gets goes away in your urine. And then vitamin D is very important, and we know that it it's certainly a part of, of your bone health overall with how well you're laying down and maintaining the bones that you have. That may be one that you can take with something like calcium, and it might even improve some of your stomach symptoms. A lot of people will um, will take a, you know a calcium supplement with vitamin D in it. Now sometimes you have to take more vitamin D because it's usually just a minimal amount in a combined with the calcium. But that might save you. Go. Got mm-hmm. I got trouble. I got diabetes colitis, mm-hmm. all that stuff, and I'm nervous putting all of this in here because my stomach already messed up. Yeah, I, I, unless a doctor is telling you this is really vital for you to take, I would just pick one thing at a time and just put it aside. Don't take it for a while, like a couple of days. See if you if it you know if you're feeling better overall, and if you're not having any problems, you can probably just lay it aside. The other thing is vitamin B12 can be given as a shot once a month, and you don't have to worry about taking it. Yes, you got to say I have to take the vitamin D every day. Yeah, vi- I mean, vitamin and vitamin D, you can even take that once a week, um, and that that may decrease your symptoms. Oh, because I thought I was going to die last night. I mean, I'm taking all these other stuff, bacon soda, tums, and Oh, no. Yeah, you got to watch out with that bacon soda. That might be, get you a little bit in, in some problems. So uh, have you seen somebody about your GI problems? Oh, yeah. They just ain't doing it right. Just hand me a paper like I'm getting ready to take a, a cola nothing. Yep. I, here's what here's a, a basic thing. It sounds like you do have a lot going on and, and are taking a lot. What I tell my patients sometimes, we're fortunate enough, we have a pharmacist in our clinic that can go over some of these medications and say, hey, maybe we could leave a couple of these things off, including some of the vitamins. But I would really take a good look at all your medications and all the supplements and just say with your pharmacist that you normally get them with and then maybe follow that up with your doctor just to say, okay, which one of these can I do away with? And which ones are really essential that I take? I used to have a, a doctor that trained me, and he said, you know, it, it, it doesn't always work out this way, but he would say, 
just choose a certain number of medications. I, and, you know, that could be eight. I don't know. And really look at the other medications that you're taking. The other thing is, even though you've been taking things for a long time, doesn't mean that you still have to take them. And it might be, it might not be beneficial as you get older to still take I some of those. I started last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's. But I would I would just sit down with your doctor and maybe a pharmacist too, and just go over those to say, okay, which ones are essential that I take, and which ones can I leave off and just start right there. I'm glad I don't take that vitamin. Start taking that vitamin C either, because I'm hearing you saying things about it. I haven't started the vitamin C. That would been on my own. Yeah, so rare, I, I, rarely do you have to take that as a supplement, Alice. All right, Alice, we're gonna we're gonna postpone this to a future week's conversation. But I do appreciate you calling in today, and all of our callers. This show would not be what it is without your participation. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public uh, Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Southern Remedy is produced by Kevin Farrell, and the podcast producer is Jermaine Flood. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.